What a week to be alive. Guys, it's Ghost in the Shell week. I don't know about you, but uh, this has felt more or less like a Star Wars week for me as far as being a uh, foot soldier in the content wars. I don't know if everybody's aware, but there's a little movie called Ghost in the Shell that came out this past week, directed by Rupert Sanders, of course, of Snow White and the Hudson fame, and starring America's sweetheart, America's post-human sweetheart, Scarlett Johansson. Um, very uncontroversial movie. Just showed up and everybody was like, great, let's check it out. Yeah, I mean, this movie is sort of the loose reason why uh, I've been trying to watch some Oshi films on this podcast over the last few episodes. And uh, because the uh, probably the most famous iteration of Ghost in the Shell is Mamoru Oshii's 1995 feature film of Ghost in the Shell. But for this particular American adaptation... I decided I wanted to do a very special episode because I could not tackle this topic alone, nor could I tackle it with just one guest. So I have not one guest, not two guests, but four guests on this podcast um, just chopping it up about Ghost in the Shell 2017, um, everything from the very well-documented whitewashing controversy to the look of the film and the design of it and also what parts it has chosen from previous iterations of the Ghost in the Shell franchise to bring into the story that really bears no resemblance to any Ghost in the Shell story that's previously been produced. But yeah, I don't want to uh, get too far into my opinion in this before it's due, so let's just take a moment, a moment of silence to uh, to think about the fact that we live in a world in which they actually did it. They made an American live-action Ghost in the Shell. Welcome to It's Cool to Like Anime. Episode 9. God, stating the episode number makes this next piece of housekeeping uh, a little bit depressing, but I do need to get around to it. I am going to be shutting down the Patreon for It's Cool to Like Anime for no other reason than I feel personally like I cannot deliver on the uh, expectations of doing a podcast for Patreon. I want to still be able to do this podcast. It's proven very difficult because um, of my full-time job, but I still want to do it. It's just I'm not sure how how regularly I can do it. I have a couple episodes banked, um, some great episodes actually, that um, I just have yet to get around to editing and and producing into a podcast. But um, so there's more to come. This is not the end of it, but I will be shutting down the Patreon just out of, you know, consideration. But that also means um, I will be sending out the... I guess, premiums, if you want to call them that, um, very soon. I am, I'm working on it right now. So I know that I said, like, not near future and not far future. So I guess this is what I meant, which is, like, two months out. So, like, Yuri gifts and uh, illustrated postcards and any other things that I, uh, I promised, that will be coming soon. But, again, uh, nothing but uh, appreciation for everybody who has 
donated to the Patreon. Um, this last billing will be the last. So uh, don't do not even I would appreciate it if you would donate, but it's not going to matter after this. Uh, it, no more payments will be processed after the beginning of April. That said, I would still like to thank everybody who did donate in the last couple weeks um, that I have not yet thanked. Um, I would like to thank Johnny Stevens. I would like to thank Lee Fitzner LeBlanc. I'd like to thank Leo, just plain old Leo. Uh, John Ryan Manning, thank you very much. Sean Logue, thank you. Chet Bond, thank you very much. And thank you to Alan Tan, Jake Cleland, James Hunter, and yeah, that's it. Gosh, that's a lot. I didn't announce last week, so that's why it was more than usual. But thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, again, this last billing will be the last one. So even if you're a recent, uh, a recent patron, I appreciate you very, very much. And uh, yeah, end of Patreon. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into Ghost, the Ghost in the Shell. My guests this week are a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new. I've got David Sims, Justin Charity, and for the first time on the podcast, Kevin Nguyen and Allison Wilmore. So uh, I hope you enjoy the discussion. Um, I will note that the sound is not ideal here. We were recording in an office. Uh, right above the entrance to the Holland Tunnel. There's just a lot of the symphony of the city surrounding us, but just kind of try to appreciate it as like texture, as some cred, like street cred. You know, we're really like in the thick of it in the Manhattan media world um, as we're recording this podcast. And, you know, I mean, we're we're global. It's a universal podcast about um, global themes, so it's only fitting. Um, and hopefully... I would I would hope that the discussion, which I lolled at many times while lightly editing it, um, would make up for the very frankly crappy sound. Um, but yeah, here it is. Enjoy. It is Sunday, April 2nd. Uh, it's been two days since Ghost in the Shell was released in the United States of America. I'm sitting in the heart of the big city, New York, New York, the Big Apple, surrounded by four... Um, elite content makers <laughs> to talk about, uh, to just verify, first of all, I think that this happened. We were all in the same screening, I will say, first of all, like we, we experienced this together, but I feel like as these things happen, you kind of disperse, you go write your thing, and then you never really have a chance to verify the reality of what you've experienced. But, um, uh, but yeah, uh, let's, just so that you guys don't have to sit around quietly forever, uh, let's just go around and introduce ourselves and say where you work and other, another fun fact. 
Uh, I'm Justin Charity, a staff writer at The Ringer. Uh, my fun fact is that I don't even necessarily love the original Ghost in the Shell all that much. Oh, wow. I apologize. Oh, wow. But not really. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm David Sims. I work at The Atlantic. I just ate a bag of fruit snacks. Just wolfed them down. I'm Allison Wilmore. I work for BuzzFeed. Uh, I co-founded an anime club in high school with my best friend, Michelle Hugo. Yes! I'll never forget what you said to me once. No one can ever know that we co-founded an anime club in high school. Do you have a name? Did you, did you just blow up the spot <laughs> the first time? <laughs> okay. Um, no, it was just the anime club. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, I'm Kevin Nguyen. I'm an editor at GQ. And my fun fact is I am the shortest person in this room. I'm not even that short. You guys are all very tall. Mm, it's a tall room. Intimidating. Yes. Yeah. Wait, so you're the Scarlett Johansson of this room, by the way. Damn just it. by that proportion. <laughs> well, she's, she's short? She's short. She's I mean, yeah, she's relative to the rest of the cast. Because mm-hmm. I don't feel like Pilo Aspect is that tall. But he's Can look it up. Yeah, get those heights on. I get love those heights. celebrity heights on. Are we casting Ghost in the Shell in this room? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I guess the... The thing to start off with, weirdly, is just like the most contextual news piece regarding this film, which is that it bombed pretty badly. And uh, maybe that's uh, maybe that's good news. Maybe that's bad news from where you're standing and um, and your thoughts of, you know, on whether or not anime adaptation should even happen or should be successful. Um, I, I was reading. uh I was I was reading uh, in, in uh, I think Deadline had an extended you know an analysis like they do about um the box office and they were really kind of uh, downplaying the effect of the backlash against the film uh on the performance of it but uh yeah what do you guys what do you guys make of the the failure the apparent financial failure of Ghost in the Shell and with keeping in mind that it hasn't opened overseas yet right it seems like the expectations were low they released a new trailer the Monday before the movie came out there were not a lot of it we saw it the Wednesday before right it came out so like one day ahead basically yeah um so it it seems like the expectations were already low yeah they were not selling it very hard i think that there was probably you know regardless of how uh charitable the expectations were they people definitely wanted to see this movie and it was like very anticipated in that way and they held it back for a long time right it's worth noting the paramount is in the middle of a titanic leadership change and made i think often sometimes studios will be like that's the old regime's movie so shrug i mean i don't know if that's true but yeah. they also, you sort of got that impression they also held it they, they showed it to press like we all saw it on yeah. right. like, two days before it opens right and i didn't know anyone who saw it earlier i'm sure they did some kind of earlier screening for people but who are doing it wasn't interviews. even like a junket was there right. yeah, I, don't I don't know, know. so i mean that's really late to yeah. be your first exposure to press. Yeah, they did like more of an event for the release of the first trailer than they did for the film itself, I mm. feel like. Like they had the big unveiling in Tokyo. They flew people into Tokyo yeah. to watch yeah. the trailer there. Yeah. Which is so wild. <laughs> now that's like the thing though, because Valerian had some huge like trailer premiere in LA and New York with like all the, the celebs there and everything. <laughs> Just get everyone The celebs. They're at it again. <laughs> he, he's six feet tall, by the way. I just before I forget, Pilo Asbeck, okay. six oh, okay. feet tall. A- I mean, bridge. I was trying to say abs, like short for average. <laughs> uh, would it would it have ever it's done well? Pocket. Right, that's the question. Right, like is there a world where Ghost in the Shell opens to fifty million, which is what they wanted? Right. I think. Which is the, I, mean, I saw some comparison of some movie that opened around. Oh, oh Lucy, Lucy, Re- yeah. Lucy opened to fifty million. 
no one would ever have guessed yeah. that a movie about a girl who turns into a USB drive, which is what that movie is about. <laughs> totally what it's about, yeah. Which, no, spoilers, <laughs> she turns into a USB drive. Uh, would have opened a 50 mil, made a very comfortable amount of money, right? Like, But, like, so I guess that's what they're hoping for. It's, like, the cyber action movie, like, this sort of vaguely future-tinged movie with ScarJo. Yeah. That's, like, that's, yeah. like, a bankable genre. The funny thing is, like, Lucy was, like, a surprise hit, right? And right. someone's just like, well, we have one data point now, so let's throw a bunch of money at the same <laughs> yeah. idea. and then also, like, Much well, more money. It yeah. only, yeah, it only cost $40 million, I think right. Lucy did. And yeah. it was an original IP, too. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, they didn't have to have the rights to anything, and it was, you know, as much effects and stuff were in that film, it's a pretty lightweight thing. Mm-hmm. And also, like, a late summer, like, the... The signaling is much different for like an end of August. I think Definitely. that was the very tail end of September. It was, yeah, or even September. Yeah. It was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was surprising. I do think that the Ghost in the Shell advertising was weird in how much it didn't display any hint of plot. You know, right. a this lot of it was like, look how cool, and this shot looks awesome, yeah. and look, she's jumping through glass in slow motion. Geisha uh, bot. Yeah, geisha bot. <laughs> like, 30 seconds. Can't forget the geisha bot. And I feel like until really like one of the last trailers that was like, you know, uh, how many more have come before you and like that like have suggested anything about what the movie was actually about yeah and i i mean i do think that hurts you because mm-hmm. you're asking people to show up for scarlett johansson in like you know a cybery bodysuit and yeah. i'm sure that works for some people but you're at <laughs> not, maybe not 50 million dollars worth of people well i was i was talking about this recently i think with some co-workers just about the i think we've seen diminishing returns on the like bunch of cool shit trailer because sure. I think like a cure for wellness is the last thing I can think of where it's just like oh my god so many crazy things are happening in this movie and you have no idea what it's actually about and then you like people show up don't show up for that because they don't know what to actually expect as far as like substance goes I don't think I think that people are kind of old-fashioned still in that way and that they do want to know like well who am I rooting for in this movie like what's going on with it and you know as, as popular as Ghosts in the Shell is among us, <laughs> most Americans don't know about it and don't have that built-in, like you know, idea of even, even like knowing that Scarlett Johansson's character in it is good. Like right. that was one thing that, like, in some test screens or something, people were responding and saying, "Yeah, I don't know if like I'm supposed to be rooting for her or not," which is like very simple. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we take some of these things for granted, I guess. But I guess also- it's like, who is the audience for this movie? And I right. think like everyone's pieces have touched on this it's like it doesn't do enough fan service to make it for the fans and then it's also not accessible enough for like normal people yeah yep. do you, did i mean deadline reported that the the audience was majority old men did you see that oh, of which course. is which was uh, interesting well that the- it did not capture the young demographic at all <laughs> and it did not capture the older females demographic only older males yeah well it's worth I noting mean, if you go it, to if crazy. you go to uh, Rotten Tomatoes the highest rating on it is also the lechiest one so uh, <laughs> I will not name names <laughs> good publications oh. or uh, critics but Justin you wrote um, in the ringer a, a very in-depth piece just about the subject in general of like adaptations of anime and like why they haven't been successful before could they ever be? Like, is there a version in which this would work? Um, is, is this con- confirm your thoughts? Because I know you wrote a lot of that before. Uh, right. I mean, I think, well, I feel like part of the problem, right, it's like, I don't know, my beef with this movie is that it feels, I left the f- theater being like, somebody tricked me into seeing a Marvel movie. <laughs> which is very much not what, like, the manga or, the, or Oshii's original movie for Ghost mm-hmm. in the Shell is. 
And so I, I feel like in the long term, the answer to that question is, it just feels like a question that's about directors. And I kind of think you have to have, it doesn't matter if you're talking about like Ghost in the Shell, which is sort of more heady, or if you're talking about Speed Racer, mm-hmm. right? Or if you're talking about Gundam or something. I feel like you have to have a director who's willing to have a real point of view and kind of be willing to embrace the sort of boundlessness that a lot of anime has. And it's like, it it bugs me that that a lot of directors sort of have this weird straddling of the line between on the one hand, I'm adapting a cartoon, but on the other hand, I'm trying to do sort of straightforward, realistic contextualization of things that I just don't think are conducive to adapting anime properties. And I think Ghost in the Shell definitely suffers from that. Too much of the movie feels very like, I mean, the movie is the most literal movie that could possibly literal. (laughs) <laughs> like it's literally just recreating scenes it's it's sort of being very um you know mysterious backstory leads to vengeance plot i don't know it's it's yeah. they really force the three act structure yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it just feels wrong well even down to like really minute details like we were talking about how they explain bato's eyes in it because at the beginning of the film, Bato has regular eyes, and then there's an attack, and he <laughs> screams, ah, my eyes. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you see him getting outfitted with his eyes that we you know, know that character has always had. And there's this sort of like lack of faith in the audience that you could have a character who has these mechanical eyes and just say, like, yeah, it's the fucking future. Like, that's why. Uh, instead of being like, oh, no, these are, this is the origin story of how he got his eyes. Like, who fucking cares? Especially people who've never seen this before. Like, yeah. who cares? Um, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I feel like the thing that I, I was really lacking for me is that there's no sense of this world as, like, lived in. You know? Yeah. That, like, so much of... It's always nighttime. It's always nighttime. (laughs) Like, they don't, you don't understand what, like, the government is, what their section is. What's her job? Who the terrorists they are apparently fighting are, since it's kind of incidental. Uh, Or even just, you know, there's so many shots of the city, but they don't really interact with it. Like, on her, like, except when she goes to, like, pick up a sex worker, which is, like, the first time you see her, like, having a life. Yeah. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's weird. We were talking about this. um, I just, like, all these reviews have, like, praised, like, the lavish scene setting. And, like, it's all, it all, after, like, ten minutes, just looks like B-roll from, like, a Nike ad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all, like, the slow motion shots. And, like, yeah, like, there's no one in those scenes. No one's even walking around this city. It all just feels very isolated in corridors. It's, it's like, video game level design. Yes. Yeah. With bad video game level. Yeah. Like, Final Fantasy fifteen video game <laughs> level design. The, we should watch a series of cutscenes. <laughs> we should. <Yeah>. That's <laughs> Sanders' background, right? He's an ad guy. Yeah. He made that Halo ad that everyone... Mm-hmm jizzed over a few years ago I remember and like that was like the thing that's the reason he has his career right that was like what got him on the map yeah. right yeah. then and he made Snow White and the Huntsman which is a piece of shit uh, but it looks okay made money yeah but was mostly a big deal because of the fact Just that he the, cheated on his yeah. wife with Kristen Stewart well, so. also more the fact that she cheated on Robert Pattinson well, and she right? yeah. apologized yeah. And I can't, sure, we sure. can never let that go that no. she apologized to the public right yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry <laughs> yes. for destroying your illusion that's only that's only five years ago <laughs> I know, to think I know. of like how, how radically her public image and uh, yeah but then yeah it's like she had to yeah she had to do this whole like penance mm-hmm. thing and then he gets handed ghost like I, I mean there's no 
he's not a big enough of a person that anybody would actually care about his sure. personal life. So he just like keeps getting like handed these big properties and like would be franchises. And I think like would be is the key, <laughs> the key phrase here, because uh, I think that Snow White uh, after Huntsman Winter's War is probably mm. dead in the water. That movie's bonkers. Yeah. Anyone else? Did you see I that movie? That. Oh yeah. That I movie's out of its that. fucking mind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that, but he didn't direct that. No, no. He didn't oh, he did. That. I was gonna say because like this, this Ghost in the Shell could have used a director who was out of their fucking mind. Yeah, instead yeah. Of that right. boring guy or a right. director. Well, that's <laughs> like, he's yeah. boring. He's, yeah. he's, yeah, he's just a guy for hire. He, yeah. like, and I feel like he you knows feel how to that run on a visual movie. effects team. Yeah. Like this is not a movie that he came to to be like, finally, like I am your guy. I am your guy to direct the Ghost in the Shell <laughs> remake that everyone's been working on for so long. Yeah. You know, he yeah. was just the latest one, and he's the one who happened to be there when it actually got made. So, uh, yeah, so we, we've talked about the look a little bit. I mean, I think they've, they've, they've talked about that a lot, especially in response to some of the whitewashing charges against the film, like emphasizing that they want to have like a global world in the film. Um, <laughs> I think that's oh, the word. Global, universal. universal. These are great words. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they're 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 very bankable words, I'll say. Like, who doesn't want something that's universal? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and so I think it's worth it's worth noting. Uh, Newport City, which is I don't think they even say they never no, they never say where it's where where set. Yeah, I think they've alluded to it maybe in like promotional stuff. They've mm. been like in the inside the making of Newport City, but I think in the film itself they never say that. Uh, maybe so that later they could call it like Neo Tokyo. <laughs> that was my joke. I know, um, but uh, but I, I mean, one thing that's interesting to me about that film is that the or the uh, Oshi's film, the nineteen ninety five film, is that even though it's the future and there are these crazy things happening with uh, with cyber bodies and, and brain swapping and all this very high-tech, like, far-flung stuff, the city itself, while huge and while obviously, like, just this urban sprawl that's much, you know, even bigger than what we have now, uh, is pretty mundane, and yeah. uh, it, that feels like the point. And I feel like as a 90s anime movie, especially a post-bubble movie, it's sort of emphasizing this thing of like, yes, we live in this world where there is all this technology, but like there's also kind of a squalor uh, around it and like a kind of, it's sort of boring. Right. Like the world is boring. And uh, even though the, all this stuff is going on and that is lost both in the, uh, I think in the the design of, of the city and the attitude that the characters have towards the technology. It's all the most scandalous and amazing wow thing. And that completely changes the way that the film feels. I mean. I, one of my favorite parts of the 1995 movie is the montage, right. you know, where she's traveling through the city and she sees like her face yes. on a random person in a cafe and on a mannequin in a shop display, implying that her face is just an off the shelf face, yeah. you know, that yeah. she is just like one of the more standard models uh, in terms of like the look she has. Yeah. And, and that it also shows, like, a grubby working city. Mm -hmm. uh, one that has, like, back alleys and one that has, like, people, yeah, like, eating. And uh, it, it just, you know, for all that it's, like, it, it's, like, half Hong Kong designed and then also has gestures towards uh, Japan on occasion. It feels, it does feel real. Yeah. And lived in. Yeah. In a way that I think is really gone. With, like, very minimal version. actual interaction in it. It's just, like, right. a lot of that is just design and the way, like... You know, just seeing like the the garbage guys and stuff like that. Yeah, I was gonna that. say like the fact That's that that movie gets you, <laughs> you stare, you're like staring at a garbage truck for ten minutes in the <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah. Like, this movie wants you to be impressed with like 
freeway, like wide freeway shots. <laughs> yeah. Then they have the garbage guys. And yeah. I was thinking, like, if you've never seen um, the 95 movie, if you're just watching, you must be like, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> we've never seen a person, basically. All we've seen is the, is the club scene, I think, right? Yeah. We've seen no, and then it's just like, gar- all of a sudden there's a garbage truck? Like, wait, I, I don't know. For some reason, I was very, like, that weird slavishness to getting yeah. some details, like, absolutely. Yeah. Made the whole thing just stick out even more. Right. Like, so the, that, so that's yeah. just, uh, another thing we were talking about before this is that this is not based officially. Right on Mamoru Oshii's film, which you would never know, given how much people have gone to like talk to Oshii about what he thinks about this film, as if like he's the authority on what the story is and what it means, which, I mean, he made two very good movies. But, uh, but yeah, it's officially based on uh, Masamune Shiro's manga, the original story, and uh, while still its structure is more or less built around recreating Oshi's set pieces. Um, you know, there are no, like, tachikomas here. <laughs> there are no, like, there are none of the, like, and there's none of, like, uh, Shiro's, like, humor that he has. Like, it's all pretty much in that much more downer, gritty um, mood that uh, that Oshi set. Like, that's that's their main reference point, I would say. Also, Johansson is definitely playing Oshi's Oh, she's Matoko. Matoko, yeah. yeah. I mean, you mean Mira? Okay, all right. Well, or, or do I? <laughs> well, I do feel like that's one of the weirdest things about the global city, that it, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's... There are no jokes in the global city. Right. <laughs> no humor in the globalized humor. Just yeah. Yeah, it doesn't we're translate. It doesn't We all language. give up. <laughs> well, like, that's the weird thing about it is that, like, race clearly exists because mm-hmm. I mean the fact that her name is changed to a non-Japanese name is and like that's a plot point is significant you know that uh, and this and like Takeshi speaks Japanese right, speak and Japanese. no one, no one everyone no understands him right. and and uh, you know and he can sp- and they speak to him in English and he understands at which point you're like well, so then everyone just, like, all the important people being white is, like, a choice, you know? Like, yeah. you can't include these, you can't, I mean, I do think it's a cheat in a sci-fi movie when you're, like, everyone's just, like, diverse and it right. doesn't this matter a, and, a like, everyone's, like, post-race uh, right. and, and somehow magically, like, it's been erased. But, like, in this movie, it is there enough, it keeps raising that point itself and then doesn't ever engage with the, like, really troublesome things that acknowledging that brings yeah. up in its own structure. It just sort of like leads me to believe, and I think a lot of us suspect that like they retconned the ending, like just mm. out of like a lot of the whitewashing controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, and should we talk about the ending? Do you want oh to do that yeah, later? no, this is, um, if I haven't said so already, this is a, a spoiler filled uh, podcast discussion. Spoiler, so, yeah. the movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in the end, basically we find out that ScarJo is white because she's a Japanese brain in a white body. And it just kind of reminded me of, um, you've played Metal Gear Solid Five, Yes. But um, just like, for some context, there's this character. He was pointing at Charity. Pointing at Charity. (laughs) My dude. Um, There's this character uh, named Quiet, and she's just basically like a large-breasted, scantily clad woman. And when the designs for that came out, um, my problematic fave, Hideo Kojima, was just like, 
It's like, just you wait until you play the game. Don't judge it. Like, you're all going to feel like idiots when you learn why she's dressed this way. And then the, yeah. the reveal is, which he definitely retconned, was like, oh, she breathes through her skin, so she can't wear a lot of clothes. <laughs> That's that's amazing. Amazing. Did you feel like, like an idiot? Oh, I certainly did. I was like, Kojima was right. And I almost feel like the writers of Ghost in the Shell just like, everyone's going to feel like such an idiot. You're right. When you see what we did with this character. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I will say... I, I tried to co- I tried to go into this movie as you know I mean I I had already been like as upset as I thought I was going to be around his very existence and I was like kind of whatever by the time I got in there I will say at the end this is another spoiler but like she's looking at the grave of her former <laughs> self because Ooh. like the government faked her death and she's there with her mom her Japanese mom. And the grave is like in a Buddhist cemetery, more it looks to be a Buddhist cemetery uh, with Japanese graves all around. And then there's Motoko Kusanagi's grave written in Roman letters. <laughs> and I know, whatever, we're all fucking idiots. We can't read Japanese. Like, but you could have subtitled it. I think also, people would have got. Like, she's there with her mom. She's there with the mom. Yes. I'm pretty sure they'd figure it out. Yeah. I mean, the mom's Japanese. Like, they could yeah. have put two and two together. It was actually a and bizarre also, choice. All of the signage in the city is in Japanese. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so that felt... But, but when she died, she was like, <laughs> Well, it, it's just like, it, that, that image felt like such a fuck you to fans like and i don't feel overly precious about like how much you're going to preserve what this character was originally like this character has gone through multiple iterations has been young and old and had many different bodies and looks and everything and like i'm not so i I, I was open-minded i would say but like showing us the grave her grave with american letters just felt like like horrible <laughs> just like the biggest middle finger at that scene possible. I just like turned to the person I went to the movie with and I was like they played themselves yeah <laughs> they played themselves but, so hard but that scene is so strange because it it is just one element of many elements of the movie that it just makes it seem like Sanders the director has a weird un- underexamined contempt for the source material because mm-hmm. it's just oh I can believe that yeah. yeah and I don't know I don't know why it, the movie is so out of step with what Ghost in the Shell is yeah and I you know I went into the movie thinking that I mean I went into the movie thinking that a lot of that feeling of like incompatibility with the source material would be all on Scarlett Johansson's shoulders but it's really the movie no. as a whole I mean in a movie that is this uh non-biological as a human actor in the middle of it you like i just i don't think there's that much that she could have done even if her performance i think we're all kind of middling on her performance middling to okay on her uh i but i i can't envision a performance of hers that would have saved this no i think she's like the thing is she's like dryly funny and she has like no lines that are near that in the Mm -hmm. movie um, which is That's really strange. Yeah, her guess, first line in the in the ninety five movie is a dry line, right? Isn't her first line basically like it's oh, my time of the month? Or, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I mean, I do feel like, and I don't think this is uh, her fault, but I do feel like she never really understood who this character was because the movie didn't. I mean, she's like a one year old, right? Like she's what was like a teenager who has now become like a one year old cyborg. Yeah, uh, who has like no sense like doesn't no ever memories, ask no right. memories ask none of the questions that you think that someone would kind of ask at this point in their existence mm-hmm. you know is i i feel like 
I mean, is there to just kind of like go through this journey of discovery, but I don't think they ever set up, set up a sense of like the life she has before then, even if it's yeah. a limited one. So it's like difficult to be like, how well is she playing this character yeah. when there's nothing there to begin with? Yeah. I mean, we should maybe get into Scarnode because she's the, you know, the most, I think, superficially controversial aspect of this film. Mm. Definitely the thing that people have been talking about the most. Um, and that's like a great point, Allison, because I kind of, forget about that like in in any iteration of ghost in the shell before it's been like she's traded up through bodies throughout her life she doesn't have this amnesia like she has a life in a cyborg body uh but just a different relationship to her body than you know a normal human would have and that's like the interesting thing that you get to explore through her but it's not this like you know, like semi frigging of just like knocking her out and like g- making her an, an infant essentially. Like, um, so yeah, it, that's a whole different aspect of like how to judge this performance too. But it's also, it's very Hollywood because the whole idea is like at the beginning, they're like, you are the special one. You're the future the of special. robotics. Yeah. You're like the first of your kind, but soon like in the future, everyone will look like you. Yeah. And so, you know, you're like this test case for robo-humanity or whatever, right? Like, so throughout, she's being told that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. So I guess she's, that, like, she's, she's like Robo-Cop. heroic. She's yeah. Robocop. So there's a lot Robo-Cop. that is very Robocop. But yeah. The yeah. weird dissonance yeah. of the movie, though, is that, like, the framing. So that framing of her character is so different from the framing of the character in Oshii's film. And yet, ScarJo is still playing yeah. The Motoko and Oshii's yeah. film, so it's just like it doesn't add up after a point. Like, why is she so solemn? Like, what does she know of this earth? <laughs> she's <laughs> only been around for. Like, but she's not really playing that character, right? Because she's yeah. playing some teenager, like you said, yeah. right? Like who rebelled? It's just writing because it's yeah. like um, we're basically told why we should care about this movie by people telling ScarJo why she matters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. When she has, you know, also. I think feebly defended her casting by talking about the fact that like, oh, I'm a post-human character. So I should not use that word. But like she has been playing those sorts of roles for a while. I don't think that she's like, I don't think that she's an idiot about how to like approach this type of a human role. She's done a really good job with it before. Um, I just think that like there's, she's not given anything to work with here. She's um, also, she's start like Lucy has that great, moment where she realizes she's losing her humanity and she yeah. calls her mother. Yeah. And like, whereas this movie's starting after that. Right. Or whatever. You know, yeah. so she's already, you know, kind of without a personality. Yeah. What's her job? <laughs> like, literally, <laughs> what's her job? They fight, they really don't they fight terrorists, they fight, but then like, they never so explain what, yeah. who they are. They spend the first 40 minutes just, like, murdering Japanese people. Right. Yeah, like, they no, they yeah. Like, oh. Right, it's like, because the first mission is she kills the robo-geisha, and there's, like, a bunch of <laughs> other Japanese guys who have, like weird eyes or yeah. like some you know there's right. some mods but like who are they what they is were there this to like try to assassinate a like guy the robotics guys right yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, oh they yeah. hacked him first right they hacked they hacked the robo geisha because <laughs> she's doing well, stuff well the robo geisha hacks the executive from honka right yeah. right right for reasons, and they're meeting and with the like wait, wait, the also they're meeting with like Africa, things, right? remember? Yeah. Right, right, because they're introducing that idea of like, oh, you know, we don't know about this. What about in your brain? Soul, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, and of course they're fucking Africa. <laughs> right. I well, the other thing is that in in the original in the original iterations of this, like Section Nine is 
important because the JSDF still exists, right. like the J- Japan Self Defense. Uh, now I'm not remembering force, what the F- right? force, yeah, yeah. Um, which is just what you know what Japan has had ever since World War II. They can't have a military, but they have the self defense, you know, uh, I don't know apparatus. Uh, and so Section Nine is sort of like. Um, you know, a more militarized, small way for them to do like this, you know, uh, under under the table uh, assassinations, uh, you know, operations where they have to like, you know, solve things with violence before everything gets bogged down in negotiations, which is like important to the story uh, and important to like the fact that it's also like explicitly takes place in Japan, too. But, you know. Who who wants to who wants to hear about that in a in a Bond movie or not uh, in a in a Bourne movie? You just described the Phantom Menace. That's funny. It's like the weird everything about the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, Section Knight or Jedi, the robot Jedi. Yeah. Except right, right, yeah, kind of. Except they kill a lot more. The best part yeah, they, they, yeah. <laughs> kill less philosophizing, more. Yeah. right, right, less ponytails. Uh, yeah. Justin texted me after the the film. Mm. Bato, though. <laughs> He's the best character in the movie. He's Bato. He did a great job. He was good. He was yeah, good. I think I would agree one. with that. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. He was, yeah. He was he, great. They have the look right. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I, I appreciated that once he gets the eyes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Bato is, has fun. Like, yeah. He's got a dog. Yeah. Right. Won't shut up about the dog. Right. He does have those terrible, clunky pieces of exposition he has to do where he's like... What is the self? What is humanity? Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he like interrupts scenes. I know. He right. interrupts yeah, yeah. scenes. There's yeah. one scene in the movie where Aramaki, the head of Section Nine, is trying to be like, "Okay, we have this mission here. The blue like I'm gonna go through <laughs> the mission screen." And then he just interrupts. He leans forward, and Bato is like, "Dreams, memories, <laughs> are they real?" It's like what? Like the philosophizing is like a parody of the original Ghost <laughs> right. in the Shell yeah. a lot yeah. of the times. Yeah. I also think in the original Ghost in the Shell, which I rewatched, like that part kind of holds up the least well. It's, like, it's a little. Been, it's a well, little I, much. I, 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 re, I did. I'd watch for the first time the um, solid. What's it called? Standalone complex. And and the second season and. Certainly in that, like, it just, things will screech to a stop when right. they're like, oh, allow yeah. us to discuss <laughs> existence for a while. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's always something that I, I felt like is, is like silly, but like a central part of the series that you can't like take away. Yeah. But in this, it felt like they're like, well, we've got to have someone say something now about sure. the self, the nature of self. What do you think, Kevin, doesn't hold up as well, uh... In the original, as far as like the oh, I think scenes. especially there's like that one monologue where um, she turns to the camera and it's on the boat, and then she just like for two minutes just talks about existence. Oh no, I love that. I love that. That's one of my favorite things. In the, in the, in the, in the, that movie is like I mean, basically like, my like, dinner with Andre. <laughs> <laughs> All of those covers, all of those weird conversations in the original, or like when the, she's just like talking about guns in the car. Like I don't yeah. know, I love yeah. all the talking scenes yeah. in the original movie. Because I remember when I was a kid, I think I'd already seen The Matrix the first time I watched Ghost in the Shell, and I was like, right. "This is going to be an action-packed thing. Yeah. It's going to be all Matrixy." And then it has like three action sequences, like yeah. maybe like very sparing, and like mostly it's like. Looking out the window. Uh, yeah. you know, like, yeah. <laughs> that was a weird thing. Like when I saw the first trailer, which has I think Scarjo like bursting through the mm, glass, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, like do they not realize that the most dramatic scene in this movie is like her tearing off her own arm? Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> right. right, right, which they included. They did. Yeah, it yeah. Well, it doesn't make sense. Also, why she puts on her uh, optic camouflage and then goes through the window in the camouflage. 
and then turns it off <laughs> when she's actually shooting people. Mm. Right. I will say in the original movie, the logic of when she uses the thermoptic, the thermoptic camouflage doesn't make a lot of sense either. It makes more sense, though, in that scene because she's okay. outside of a window yeah, mm-hmm. okay. and she shoots, and she shoots them through, through the right, window right. so they couldn't see her. Okay. Um, it's also like through a fish tank so the extra can't see her. But yeah, I went back to watch that because I was like, did that make sense? <laughs> like, did it ever make sense? And it, it does. Like, okay. you know, oh, mm. it's brief too. It's not like an extended fight scene the way it is there. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, that, and that's also when the film really shows its hand as, as far as how scandalized it is about robots because... You know, she's uh, she's taking out these robot geishas and then uh, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to the design of the robot geishas in a second. <laughs> but um, but, you know, then then the robot geisha is like, no, please, yeah. like, save me or like she says something like yeah. help me. Yeah, yeah. Help, me. Like, help me, help me. Yeah, which seems like, you know, I mean, I think that seems like it's probably Kuze, who's like the, the main yeah, bad like person we haven't even gotten to. But still, it gives her pause and then. Then Bato has to tell her, "Don't worry, you're not like them." Well, and also, and like her face, like right. snaps open, and yeah. it's right. like, "Oh, you see everything underneath," and she's like, <gasps> "Yeah," like, it shoots the robot. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, the the robot geishas, uh, we we found out, uh, I guess, in the credits that uh, that is Rila Fukushima's part. Uh, Rila Fukushima, who is in Wolverine, a Japanese actress, um, she is the face model for the robot geishas. I, what, she might have been in it. I think she was in it because I saw it's a tweet her, going around saying credit, it was. Isn't it? I, I could swear it's her like credit in the. It, it, her credit is Robogeisha or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, I saw a tweet going around saying like her only role was as a as a mo- model for the, uh, pro, you know, for the prosthesis. Uh-huh. Yeah. I that that tweet seemed highly suspect to me. Mm-hmm. I am sure she was on set as the geisha, but I'm not totally sure. Right, but, but I, mean, I mean, her I don't, face, her physical being uh, is not no. there. <laughs> She and then it, and and then it, it, on top of that is like an exaggeration of her face. Indeed, to look more Asian. It's almost like it's the face is posed in some yeah. sort of an expression. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, it's it's rough stuff. I mean, also it doesn't make sense to me even in the context of the world this is trying to create. If they can do realistic looking. Uh, robots. They, they refer to this as like the Honka companion bot. Right. You're like, right. why does it look scary? <laughs> <laughs> why would you design a scary, scary looking yeah. geisha also, as like in your fancy restaurant? Yeah. I mean, it, also something that looks more humanoid would probably be scarier. Like, especially if you know that it's supposed to be a companion bot, then you <laughs> which is like more of the innocence thing, like in Ghost of the Shell Innocence. But yeah. I will say I have the art book for th- for this movie. And half yeah, of why? the art book. Why? <laughs> I was just looking for quotes in it. I don't know. And I was writing my piece. And like, did you buy it? Yeah. How much did it cost? It was fifteen dollars. Fifteen dollars for an art book. Yeah. No, it's twenty six dollars. It's twenty six dollars. I played myself. <laughs> but I, I will say half of the art book is the robot is the robot geisha. Half of Sanders' quotes in the art book are all about how like he was excited to have the. Just make his goddamn robot geisha. Hey man, yeah. Memoirs of a robot geisha. <laughs> Memoirs of a I never saw the original Memoirs of a Geisha or read the book, but I would watch. <laughs> Memoirs it could, of could a only be an improvement. Yeah. Could only be Memoirs of a Robo Geisha. That's the thing, though, is like the, the Robo Geishas are, again, something that comes from an original, or not original, but like a previous iteration of Ghost and Shell. It's from the first episode of Standalone Complex. Mm-hmm. And in that, they are Robo Geishas, and they also look much more humanoid despite being animated. Um, and that's like what's frightening about them. Uh, and it's also, logic is not there. Yeah, no. and it's also it's so minor too. I mean, 
when I saw the first trailer for this and I saw that like they went straight to the robot geishas, I was like, of course you did. Like <laughs> we could not help ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It seems like we're pretty out on the look of it. We're like middle on Scarlet. Uh, I actually think, like on the whole, the performances were like okay to good. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Although across the board, I think. What I don't know. Juliet Binoche. Oh, she was real bad. She was. Yeah, yeah. She, was, she looked a little lost. She looked like yeah. her character, character in Claus of Sils Maria, right? That character right? is ridiculous also. Like, right. totally ridiculous. Yeah. Well, like, this is the thing that's actually more on the on the whitewashing front. Like, that character should be Asian, I think. Wait, we should explain which character this is. Dr. So, Moulet? Yeah, Moulet, correct. yeah. She's, she's, she's French, as is Juliet Binoche is a French actress. She is, uh, she's allowed to play a French actress or a French doctor in this. Um, but she's basically the, the doctor who, like, you know, gives, gives, uh, we can't, like, we cannot say the name Mira. Uh, <laughs> the major. The major. The major. It's mostly what they call yeah, her. Yeah, they call yeah. her, yeah. She, she gives major her, uh, her checkups, and she was also kind of overseeing her creation, and her putting, they're putting her cyber brain in her body, um, and so she's sort of her caretaker in so much as she has one. And, and there's uh, this, the, this the idea of consent that they keep hitting. This is like the crucial crux of the, of yes. the screenplay yeah. is like that she has to say, I give my consent mm-hmm. like anytime they do anything. And then, of course, you know where yeah. the, <laughs> it's just again, just like, the left is We don't actually need coming. your consent. Plot twist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you might not understand this. But, yeah. And then she gives her, con- at the end, she like turns it back. But what yeah. she use it for? It's like, it's sort of just like a... It's because it's when she gives her her memories back or something, right? Before Uh she dies. Yeah. Because there's the middle scene where she's like, we never needed your consent or whatever. But there was like a final line or close to it where she like turns the line around, but I don't remember what it was. It's it's when she has the change of heart and doesn't like wipe her mind or whatever. Also, what's amazing is at that point, I think she knows that her name is Motoko. Is that right? She, yeah. yeah. And she still says, my name is me. She never, she never identifies with her actual name, mm. which is a thing mm. that happens. Because <laughs> she's dead. She, she is dead. R.I.P. <laughs> um, at least they, at least they cleared that up. <laughs> I will say, I, I find the note that this ends on in the affirmation of indiv- like, right. r- like importance of individual, like individual, as it's our individual actions that count. Yeah. Like is, I mean, beyond just like a, like super American way to tell the story. I just felt like such an affront compared to what happens in the Japanese. Yes. Movie. <laughs> I was like, like the opposite I was like, lesson. yes, yeah. I was like enraged. Like that was the yeah. part that made me feel the most enraged. No. Like that is the lesson that you have decided to tell with this movie. Well, also she says like, our memories don't define us. It's what we do that defines us. But just like, you just figured out who you were. And that's yeah. the point of the movie. You literally so, wanted like, your memory. You wanted your memory <laughs> like, back. the whole yeah. fucking movie. So, so if your theory is right, then Kevin and they answer that plot twist after the whitewashing controversy then the end point of that is like she finds out she's actually Japanese and she doesn't care <laughs> it doesn't matter right <laughs> that's what we do also we kill the Japanese woman right yes <laughs> this is a lot it's Wait, a lot so that's that's something so we've I don't we've only kind of barely discussed this plot in in detail but like it does end on a similar beat as the first, even though none of the middle is the same at all, uh, where a, a, I guess, a, a fellow cyborg who has been building a network that, that people can live in and transcend their human form, uh, much in the way that the Puppet Master has done in the, uh, in the Oshi film, he asks her to, to come live with him in 
the wired. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, as, as, as everybody knows who's seen Ghost in the Shell, she does it. She does it almost imperceptibly, too. Right. Like, there's yeah. never, there's not a moment about it. It's just like, oh, I guess she did it. Um, and in this, she, she, you know, uh, very, very clearly states her intention that there's still more work to right. be done. She's on not her. done yet. No. Which is like, you guys really thought you were going to get a sequel to this. And, uh, while also skirting the actual substance of what this is. Well, you gotta MCU it, right? Right. I mean, it, mm-hmm. there's no point in it existing if there's not the potential to see it go on forever yeah. and ever and ever. I mean, imagine <laughs> Rupert Sanders's innocence, right? Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> we, we, we could have gotten that. Just, I just want to be all dogs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's just a, this other thing, too, that like, in Hollywood, there's just been this land grab for intellectual property, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the only reason they made Ghost in the Shell. It's because they're just like, oh, here's a thing with a fan base that we can stick a name on. And mm-hmm. I think in your piece, Emily, you talked about how they basically like, uh, they basically buy these things up so they can appropriate like set pieces and action scenes. Yeah, yeah. Well, this especially they did. I mean, there's no other reason for this movie to be called Ghost in the Shell other than the fact that it recreates some images from mostly the 1995 film, some from Standalone Complex, some from Innocence, uh, and some from the manga as well. But uh, the story and the actual point of it is not <laughs> there at all, I would say. Um, yeah, and so it just seems... And that that feels that feels more racist than whitewashing to me because it is this idea that, oh, you guys like this anime stuff, huh? You like it because it's so, like, crazy and it's got robot geishas and stuff in it. Um, so we'll, we'll give you that movie. We'll, like, we'll do it in real life, but, like, it'll just be those superficial elements and like because we don't think you guys actually care about the story or any of the ideas that like the Japanese creators of this had which I think is far more insulting Mm -hmm. than casting Scarlett Johansson because like I've always been the person of the unpopular opinion that like I don't necessarily need her to look Caucasian in it because I think it is a story or look look Asian in it or be like like played by an Asian woman because I think that the story is about kind of like these I, I cultural ideas of what an upgrade looks like for a human body and I think that like having her peak occasion in an Asian world would be and that's sort of more or less what happens in the film except that nobody else is Asian <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah this film is uh, it does that without doing anything interesting with it at all um, and that feels much more insulting at the end, in the end yeah. She also, like, she doesn't choose any of these things, which I think no. is, like, a huge element that gets lost. Yeah. You know, she's a victim in this. This has been done to her. Mm-hmm. This body has been given to her. Whereas, I mean, in the world in which the original property takes place, all of these, like, like the bodies you choose and all of that are, like, they're strategic or therefore because you like the way they look, but, like, yeah. they're active choices you make. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it isn't that, like, she... She's, like, chose... I haven't watched much of or any of Arise. Um, have you watched Arise at all? Because that's more about her, like, as a kid and, like, in an it's adolescent. It's like a prequel, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I've heard it's not very good, yeah, but uh, but it does address the idea of the fact that, like, she has grown up and gotten, you know, uh, these bodies as she's, as she's aged, um, but more or less kept them... Uh, like looking like the same person, like how that same person would look like growing up. And like, there's this idea of like, 
you would want to like feel some sort of resemblance to yourself over the years instead of like turning 12 and being like oh i'm gonna look like barbie now Mm. or something um like she kind of always there's a line you can track and there's like that's like part of identity in a way like those those are all these are all interesting questions you know (laughs) like even if that anime isn't that good like you know that's like the kind of things that the series has always asked it's it's hard to overstate how I mean, this movie has no ideas about identity, about anything. It's uninteresting. <laughs> it yeah. is a movie that has no point of view. Well, it's like its best idea. No takes. Like, it has no takes. This yeah. movie has no it's takes. True. It has no takes. Well, the only it idea in it is like a pro whitewashing idea. Right. right. Okay, right. that's its hottest right. thing. It builds whitewashing into it's like its whitewashing story. Good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, this is the most interesting thing to me that I've like learned since seeing it because you know obviously you can talk about the whitewashing and like that all you want before you see the film and then once you see it and you realize it's this completely american narrative and like a thing about like one strong individual defeating the system or whatever what's interesting to me is i was going back and i was trying to think of like films especially since the early 80s that have embraced more of a kind of not necessarily like the self at the center of the narrative type story or or something that kind of tries to explode that in some way. And the interesting thing to me is like the director who has gotten closest to that uh, and also had the rights to this for a long time was Steven Spielberg. Mm. And he's like, and and I I don't necessarily like, I mean, I think that AI comes much closer as much as I don't like that movie. Great movie. I know you love it. But like he, yeah, he had the rights to Ghost in the Shelf. I think he was the first person who had him for a long time. He was the one that tapped Sanders to do this movie. He was. Which is kind of the Spielberg move. I think he sort of, you know, buys up rights or what, you know, he's always been someone who acquires lots and lots of books and, Mm -hmm. you know, other things, TV shows. And then he, if he likes the look, if he likes your look, mm-hmm. right? Look, you know, it looks like you can run a big yeah. technical production. Then sure, like why don't you make Transformers, Michael Bay, or what? Right? Yeah. Like that's, I mean, yeah. That's how we, mm, I mean, Stevie, I, you know, right and wrong. I think that there's still like a far cry between something like Minority Report and Ghost in the Shell, but I think it's definitely in a more interesting direction hmm. than than this. Like, that's definitely more open, I think, to the idea of, like, what do your choices mean? How much control do you actually have right. over your life and your person and all of that? Like, that, that, th- those films, while still being complete popcorn summer action movies, well, not AI, but, like, Minority Report, sure, uh, uh, are, are more curious in that, in that direction. Well, yeah, I, like, reading the press notes for this Ghost in the Shell, uh, one of the producers was saying, oh, well, it's a cautionary tale about technology. Like, that is not <laughs> what Ghost of the Shell is. Right. <laughs> Who was it? Oh. Avi, it was Avi Aran. Sure, yeah. sure. Uh, but it was just like, that is such a misunderstanding <laughs> of what this property is about. It's like about how we live with technology and how it changes us. Like, well, this is my, my like, uh, conspiracy theory about all this, is that you can't have a film anymore that that actually gets into what it is like to live with technology and how we are being eaten by the machine, essentially. Like, because they need to make you feel like you're not. Mm. And they need to give you a sense of, like, like this is a movie about the resistance yeah. and, like, fighting back against, you know, the corporations and stuff while, you know, 
I'm sorry, I'm gonna get super Mr. Robot, but like, you know, Viacom and Paramount have like a vested interest in like, you know, removing your privacy and, you know, actually making you one with the machine (laughs) and making you into information. And, uh, and so it's like incredibly unsafe to have something, I think, that just, that just explores what it's going to be like to live in that world in like a neutral way. Even, yeah. You know? Well, like at the end of the 1995 movie, she like partially merges with the puppet master. She like yeah. surrenders herself as it was, Yeah, which is like, I think in an American movie it would be like a horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like that concept could never be portrayed it's as anything other a little than, bit of a horror it definitely, movie. Yeah. But it's like, it's so alien, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. it's this, I, the concept that it tries to introduce. Whereas I feel like, well, in an peaceful. American movie, it could not be represented as anything other than like, this horrific thing. Yeah. Right. And also, like, rewatching the original, like, the plotting of it is, like, so unconventional. And it's mm-hmm. kind of amazing yeah. that it works. It's just, like, the bad guy is, like, not a bad guy. Yeah. And, like, the ending is, like, the climax is not really a climax. And Well, it's a super simple story. It's just, like, this this guy's out there, and it turns out, like, instead of us trying to track him, he's trying to track you. And then, like, and then you guys get married and <laughs> 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 often live, yes, live but, on the internet forever but that yeah. movie is so dense and yeah. so d- it d- you know it wants you to not it, like it throws you into the middle of not just one scene but yeah. so many scenes yeah. mm-hmm. where and you're like what are they, who, who are they what are they what the fuck are they yeah. talking about like over and over again but it doesn't care and I don't think it should care but no yeah. one's ever going to make a movie like, I mean this script for the this I mean this script has three credited writers including mm-hmm. Aaron Kruger who's like a total I don't mean to diss him, but he's a total hack, right? I mean, he, he wrote a lot of... He, yeah. How can he take that back? He wrote, he, he, he wrote the later Transformers. He's just like a guy, you know, you just hired to, I think, basically impose a three-act structure on something. Mm-hmm. You have a big set piece, like, you know, you've got your set pieces laid out, and you get these guys in to just sort of, like, make it into some, like, the hero defeats the evil corporation, yeah. the end, right? Yeah. And that's all that anybody wants, right? Like that's all everybody like, yeah. wants. But it's weird because as much as that sounds like T-ball, to me, the point in the movie where I was just like, I'm out, is when you finally get to the point where the Major and Kuze are like, they're facing off. And it's mm-hmm. like, Kuze has the upper hand over the Major. And, and Kuze is giving his big, like... The speech. Villain, he's right, giving his right. big villain speech. And he just keeps talking... And there's just, he doesn't say anything. Yeah. He's just yeah. giving a speech that's sort it's like he's filibustering the movie. <laughs> and then there's just nothing, I was like, can you at least, you know, you've teed this up. This is a super simplified narrative. And you can't even produce, like, a memorable line or right. anything for this guy to say. I can't believe you were into the movie that long. Cause I, I know, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> it opened and there was, like, some exposition on the screen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, that that scene, like much of the movie, I don't think you're actually supposed to be listening to him because you're supposed to be like, oh, he looks all fucked up. Like, <laughs> yeah, he sounds like, and, okay, computer. Yes. He's doing yeah. a fitter, happier, yeah. more productive yeah. voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and yeah, Michael Pitt is mostly unseen throughout all of this, I would mm. say, like usually half concealed in shadows. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes no sense why he sounds like that. Yeah, they don't he's, really he's just he's a, made up a computer. He's, he's like, <laughs> the idea is he's a broken version of yeah. Scarjo, right? Because he's, he's like got a, the same sort of design where his face is like plates, yeah. right? 
that and, it's not quite working. And they don't say anything except like, yeah, his mind was his twisted. Mind was twisted. Like, yeah, okay, like, I was actually confused by this because isn't it, I, I thought the implication is that he's the model right before her, but by right. how dysfunctional he is, you would think that he's like the clamshell Mac laptop right, from like right. the mm. early aughts or something. Also, well, also he's her boyfriend, right? Like, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. They were in some buds, way. Yeah. I thought that they were going to be siblings at first, but they were both part of this like Anarchist right. rebellion, yeah. collective, like yeah. in the lawless zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, in the lawless yeah, it zone. It doesn't mean in the lawless I mean, zone. You're never gonna clean up crime in the lawless zone if it, you gotta rename it, right? You call it like the law zone, right. maybe. Like, like, why would you use the brains of law these zone. anarchists <laughs> yeah, to right. be your model for your cyborg? That is a great question. Yeah. And then be surprised <laughs> when they don't behave. I mean, the other thing that's weird. So, like on the lawless zone point, like imagine if in any point in the Batman universe. <laughs> You introduced what the idea of Arkham Asylum was without ever like explaining that like by the way this city is called Gotham right. it's like this these yeah. are characters and it's politics this movie sort of expects it's you to know what to do with the idea of a lawless zone yeah. in a city that you don't because it's just like oh, it's like every other city and every other sci-fi but it has a lawless zone send in the spider robot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey, man. Like, why do they need spider robots? Also, why are these, like, a helicopter is flying to the wall or something? The guy's like, no, 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 no. Let's send a tank. <laughs> Much slower. Send a tank. This will be fine. I also like the, the sniper that takes out the helicopter. I was yeah. like, have yeah. we seen this guy before? This guy's no. a railgun! Like, he's, like, a major character yeah. in the series. Yeah. But, like, I don't yeah. think he even helicopter. gets... I don't yeah. think he even gets introduced in, in, like, the first scene where you're like, here's the team. Right. He, He's in it somewhere, because there's this throwaway line that I remember, and maybe not the first scene, but right, yeah. where he's like, they're like, he doesn't, Yeah, know, he's, he's got, he's got like no robot order. in him or whatever. No, like they, that's a different guy. Different oh, no, that's Shin Han. Who's the sniper, then? I think it's, it's Saito. Oh, oh it's Saito. Saito. Yeah. I thought Shin Han was the sniper. He just shows up with a railgun at the end. <laughs> he's yeah. like, where did you come from? Yeah. Right, we should say, like, Tokusa was done so dirty by this Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's right. what I, I mean, that's... Yeah, no, it wasn't Tokusa. He's not the sniper. I think it was Saito, who's the sniper in the series. Right, right. Because when I saw it, I was like, oh, they're finally giving him at least, at least he's going to have a sniper rifle or something. He has nothing to do. His climactic point as a character is that he doesn't get killed. He doesn't right? he's, like, he's like, oh, I survived this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's frustrating to me that, like, as much as this film is so interested in, like, retaining your humanity in the midst of technology, like, like take Togusa out completely, and, like, he's the obvious character to use to talk about that. Like, mm-hmm. that's what they use him for outside of that, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, we, uh, this has been... Uh, <laughs> an in-depth and and meandering (laughs) conversation with the symphony of the city behind us because we live in uh, we are in the universal (laughs) (laughs) it's very global setting I want to say Um, but I I, we did we did promise we we would uh, we would end by saying one nice thing about this movie Jesus in the spirit of the presidential debate (laughs) for 2016 Uh, just one good thing about this movie uh, go, Justin Charity. Baro, though. <laughs> yeah, he took the good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's really good. I think I think his chemistry with the major. I I think that felt weirdly true. He to, also has this like really great physical presence. Yeah, that is also yeah. Whenever you see them in the same shot and the contrast, and it's like this is this is adorable. Why can't yeah. the rest of the movie be adorable? Yeah, like this? yeah. I, I like, like the one score. And the one. Yeah, <laughs> that's my thing. Right, I, I remember now. Clint Mansell, he did an okay score. Oh, it had yeah, bloops yeah. and bleeps. <laughs> yeah. It was it was good. He's decent. Not as good as the ninety five score, obviously, which is but, like a 
If you tried to Benchmark, do that, Benchmark, grade score, right. Yeah. People would riot. Yeah. Um, I like, I mean, I, I think I like the visuals of this a little more, but I like the, like, even though they're kind of lifted out of Blade Runner, the giant, like, holographic ads that are all over the city. I like, like the one that was like, uh, pumping iron. Oh, yeah, I definitely did. Like, right. I feel like okay. there's just something so, like, like appropriately weirdly like capitalism running run amok of it which has to be like your cityscape is now dominated by giant ads mm-hmm. it's like a weird thing in Blade Runner though it's like you're supposed to be like kind of terrified that in the future that like LA is like hugely Chinese you know yeah. right. like, all of cyberpunk is about yeah. like it's threaded through that like sense yeah. that Asia has ascended right mm-hmm. yeah. right yeah, yeah that Asia and America are just gonna like blend together or, or yeah whatever yeah. Um, also, we could like all have egg on our face when this does like you know two hundred million in China. I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually I totally think it will. Honestly, I mean yeah. I don't like I, I feel like they're America Asia's ascendant in the box, <laughs> in the box office <laughs> and American audiences. You don't need it to be a hit here anymore yeah. to make money. Um, I liked Beat Katano. There's that like little shootout he has that's like maybe 30 seconds long and I was like just make this movie just yeah. like make a cyberpunk western with him cause like <laughs> oh, yeah. I was so briefly afraid he was gonna die too that yeah. they were, I, I'm yeah. like oh man they're gonna kill him off just to like raise the stakes or something and I was happy when he his lunchbox no. deflected the bullets or whatever it was <laughs> if that was just a short film just when he gets in the car <laughs> that is true yeah. Yeah. like a plus yeah. best sure. movie of the year. He gets year. a really good line too, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. He's like, "Don't send a don't send a rabbit to hunt a fox or something." Yeah. So like good, it's so <laughs> good. Bang. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna say the costumes. I like mm-hmm. I liked every single one of her outfits a lot, and I would like to incorporate it into my 2017 summer uh, lookbook. I I like the bomber jacket. I like the longer type coat that she has. It's good variety, but I think that like. If there's one thing that this movie has has respected, it's it's a long tradition of great jackets in Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. Ghost in the Shell has been yeah. on jacket strong. It, but seriously, so for the end of this movie, it's so like so ham-fistedly set up to be like see you next time right. in the sequel yes. to this movie they, that's they, definitely they, getting made. They drop the M hammer fast. Oh right? my! They, God. They're like after two minutes. They're like we're we're done. We're done. By the yeah. way, she tore her, tore her arms off, and now she's gonna yeah. right like they. Go they, ahead, sir. Well, but at, is there? I don't know if if there is a second one of these movies. Like, who is the director that I would tolerate going to see the That's second a one good for? Question. I give me a Lars von Trier goes to the show at this point. Like, yeah. I don't, oh, yeah, I'm mean, not sure, but like, come on, incredible. <laughs> that is a good question, though. Yeah, is there a director who could have same cast, whatever, maybe even the same shitty script, but like. Is there a not the same? Not the same. Don't you agree? Don't you agree? That's the biggest problem. The script is the biggest problem. Yeah. yeah. I would even do like Alex Garland or something. Sure. Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, he's. If you wanted to do a real stripped down version of, or even like a more ambitious version, I don't know. Like he, he has more interesting ideas. I would say. Yeah. Ryan Johnson. You need like a geek. You need I mean, a geek. Real, yeah. We need, need someone like a who legit leads with atmosphere. Yeah. JJ Abrams goes to the show. Actually, <laughs> that's it. Is what we just watched. Really though. Really though. Yeah. I well, do think it'll be forgotten, largely, outside of the contract. Like, the film itself, right? It, yes. d- it does sort of have that. Like, all of the deadline pieces today are about Boss Baby's domination and how oh. Boss do, Baby's like, cinematic that universe. It's hilarious, the fact that it's getting beat by a, a talking baby. Boss Baby should have, the character Boss Baby should have been the villain of the <laughs> oh, show. Not with the Yeah, still by Michael Pitt doing OK Computer Voice. <laughs> but it's just. I am a baby. Cyber Brain for uh, well, uh, I this is like a great transition because now we're going to do an hour on Boss Baby. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, everybody go see Boss Baby. Great film. 
Did you rave it? I, I did. It I mean, I I did a. I can't believe this exists. Mm-hmm. That that's my that's my stance on Boss Baby. Much much like Ghost in the Shell. These are two movies I can't believe exist uh, in in various ways. Um, but thank you guys all for for uh, coming by to talk about this. For joining me in the big city. Uh, <laughs> God. People gotta get in the Holland Tunnel, baby. Yeah. I know, we're go. right by the Holland Tunnel. Um, okay, I see Holland Pipes. See, <laughs> uh, everyone want to go around? Just uh, say your your Twitter handle. I know I always do this with you, but you don't use it anymore. I know I'm brother Noob. So tweet at me. Do whatever you gotta do. I'm not gonna read that shit. <laughs> and then, well, I check. I like log into Twitter once every two weeks to to just check up on something. the yeah on the discourse or like troll Allison. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Uh, I am David L Sims. One M in Sims. Don't you forget it. Just one. I like ain't Phil Sims. Sims. Yes, exactly. Like the video game. Mm-hmm. I'm Allison Wilmore. One L in Allison. Two L's in Wilmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Matt Kane Wen. You can't spun when. Don't follow me. Damn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> 2017. It's a universal name. A very global name. Yeah. Very yeah. global surname. Yeah. Has anybody told you you have like a really nice global name? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I see a lot of like, you know, like box office potential for your name. Oh, for sure. <laughs> In all four quadrants. And they just become the major. <laughs> uh, thanks, you guys. does it for this uh, emergency meeting post Ghost in the Shell 2017. Um, again, all of the guests this week have written pieces about this film. And not only that, but wrote very smart and good things about this film. So uh, I would encourage you to check them out. I will link to them in the show notes and wherever else it's uh, pertinent. Um, I'll be back soon with a couple other uh, Oshi pods uh, and hopefully, you know, another one at the end of the week, if not early next week. And yes, in lieu of Patreon, in our post-Patreon reality, you can still subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can rate it. You can review it. These are all helpful ways to get it out there into the world. And uh, and yeah, if you have any feedback, please email me at itscoolpodcast at gmail.com. And I appreciate everyone's continuing listenership. I'll be back soon. It's cool to like anime lives, I promise. All right, later. <laughs>